The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. We're going to talk about, oh, my name's Dave. Some of you know me, some of you don't. Um, I was a uh, pastor for about six years and uh, worked with college students and then uh, been a therapist for about six years and um, do a lot with John and... um, the, uh, we're talking about ambition, a godly ambition, and it's one of those words that I, John and I were talking about this, and I love, what I love about John's heart is that John is consistently looking at what, 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 uh, people have kind of bypassed and taking another looking at, look at it. And ambition is one of those things that, that just sort of grabbed John and said, we need to be, if we're gonna be a people that are going to be a light to the world, if we're gonna be a people that are in, let's just take Seattle, if in Seattle people are going to be looking around and going, what is it that's different about you? That there's got to be some element of a godly ambition. There's got to be that sense that we're looking outside of ourselves and wanting something. Um, we, we John's talked a lot about how ambition can run awry and that ambition can go south and, and that we can get an, an ambition that excludes God, excludes others, runs over people, um, but that a godly an ambition that comes out of the heart that's seeking after what God is doing and what God is wanting, that somehow that's got to be a key component of our mission in the world. No question. Tonight we're going to take a sub-part of that and talk about one of my favorite topics, which is vision. I love the um, whole concept of vision because I, in my experience with people, both when I was uh, as a pastor and then also, also as I'm working with people uh, in a counseling situation, is that when I've got people where their vision has been taken from them or where they have not ever stopped to think about developing the discipline of vision, they get stuck. And they can feel like they don't know where their life is going or what's supposed to happen. Or they can feel like they're, they're doing their day. They're living their day. They're sort of taking everything that comes to them as if there's a bunch of baseballs just being, you know, pitched at them one after another after another. And just doing the best they can to kind of field those balls. But there's not a sense of stepping back and developing a spiritual discipline of developing a God-centered vision. Doesn't it? Most of us, I don't think, even think of it that way. We think of vision kind of being this thing for certain people, like a prophetic kind of a Moses experience by the burning bush. Some people will have vision, but not me. I'm waiting for someone near me to have vision. I want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge you tonight to think about the idea of developing the discipline of a God-centered, God-breathed vision. That idea of communing with God, being in prayer with God, talking with God, being in a community of people around you that are talking to God and taking that the, the, the necessary time and space to ask yourself, what's my vision? We're going to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a guy in the, in the Old Testament. He's one of my favorite guys. Nehemiah is, is, if you guys brought your Bible, last week I brought my little pocket Bible and nearly went blind. Could not read a thing. So if you have a Bible and it's really tiny, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to read it. But if you've got your Bible, it's about one third of the way through. You're about, you're good. If you, if you get to, uh, the Psalms, you're, you want to turn left. Go back. And, um, let me tell you what was happening with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, to king Artaxerxes, which is a great name to say. 
Um, and uh, it's while this is what had happened. It's kind of a complicated political situation. What had happened was there had been this gigantic um, desolation of, of the Israelites in Jerusalem. They had built this incredible, incredible kingdom, and then lo and behold, bam! They just get wiped out. What happens is, is that the uh, is that they are they, the Persian Empire comes along, takes them, and 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 sends them into what's called a dispersion, where instead of killing them, they take little pockets of them and spread them out, and so they're living without connection to each other, and it's this idea that we'll have them as servants. We'll have them serving us. We'll have them in places where they don't have any ability to reorganize. Well, we've got um, Nehemiah who comes along, and he's kind of worked his way up, and um, he's now the cupbearer to the king, which is a really high position. And he comes along, and if you've got your Bibles, I'm just going to read to you a few sections. We're going to start in chapter 1 in uh, in the book of Nehemiah. It says, The word of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the months of Shivlev, in the twentieth year, when I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. So what he's saying is, he's been relocated, he's grown up, and he's thinking about his homeland. And he's asking these people that have visited, because what they did is they left a few, a few of the Israelites in Jerusalem, just a few of them. Nothing to, you know, the city's wiped out, it's still destroyed, it's still just a wreck. And they left a few of them just to kind of make do. And he gets, one of his brothers comes back, they're separated, comes back and he asks about his hometown. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant is there in the province. Now the remnant is that little group of of the Israelites that had been left back in Jerusalem. He's asking about them. Who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now this is, you guys got to understand, that this wall was supposed to keep the city safe. This, This wall had been built so that armies could come up against it and not prevail. And inside this would be the holy of the, the, the temple, and inside the temple was the holy of holies, where the Israelites, that was their idea was that God literally dwelt in the holy of holies. That this was God's city, that this was God's chosen people, that this, that this kingdom would reign forever. That was sort of the promise to David. And so when the dis- desolation happens, you can imagine just the confusion, the sense of where is God now? This, this sense of, of a promise being broken. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to feel like the walls of your life have been broken, shattered, taken over. That you're left carrying in the stuff of what you've been through and wondering what happened. Well, that's exactly what the Israelites are going through. They're trying to capture a new vision of what's God going to do to make this something that can be redeemed. Now it came about when I heard these words. Nehemiah is writing in the first person. Verse 4. I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord of God of heaven. Beseech literally is this, this um, it's an emotive word. It's this idea that it's just like, with everything I have, God, I am asking you to do something. And you know what that's like. It's different than that kind of, 
you know, the, the disciplined daily prayer where you're praying kind of just because you're doing what gives you life. You're doing something to kind of, it's like watering a plant every day. Putting in a little, giving it a little light, giving it a little water, that's what your prayer. And then suddenly life hits you hard, and that's when you beseech God. You are pouring out your heart and saying, God, this is, this is something's gotta change. O Lord God of heaven, and great and awesome God who preserves the covenant. See, he's calling back that promise. He's saying, you're not, I know that it looks like the promise has been broken. I know it looks like what you said hasn't come true. He says, but that's not who you are. You are a God of covenant, so I know you're still involved. And loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee thee now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned. There's this sense, what I love about Nehemiah, is he doesn't sugarcoat his own life. You know, the, 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 the truth that for me has been the most powerful is that God has made me, and that gives me a worth that doesn't go away. And in my created being in this fallen world, I have core traits that can be both a strength and a weakness. And the strengths are the blessing that I bring to the world, and the weakness side of those same core traits are where I have done harm to the world. That is one of those things where when I was able to kind of put words to that, I didn't have to sugarcoat my life and not get into this thing about this inner tug-of-war of whether I've done wrong or I haven't. I have, I have. I have hurt people's feelings. Um, I can be dismissive. I can be visionary and kind of run over people. That visionary sense of me, though, is also part of my strengths. That is the challenge that, that, that we all face, this idea of how do we come before God and not beat ourselves to pieces as if God didn't make us, in a sense, kind of looking at a work of God and saying, that's crud. You know? You ever thought about that? That when you're just beating yourself up so hard that you're t- basically looking at God and saying, you know what, you made this, this is junk. I don't know about, that was great, that was great, but this is junk. I don't know what you were thinking about. You were using the wrong colors, you were using the wrong shading, you were using the wrong, I mean, your lighting's all off, God. You know, the shapes are all distorted. I don't know what you're doing, God. It looks goofy. And God going, Man, I painted that. You think? That hurts my feelings. You know? I can kind of picture God saying that. This is the idea of that Nehemiah, what I love about Nehemiah is that he comes and says, I want to be clear with you that I'm involved in what's gone wrong. There's some of what's happened. I can, I can claim some of this. But he doesn't destroy himself. He doesn't just beat himself up. He says, we have acted very corruptly against thee, have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who do, though those of you who have been scattered, we're in the most remote part of the heavens. This is hard to say. I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. What he's saying is, I want you to remember what you said to Moses, God. I love the idea that Nehemiah will contend with God. 
I love the idea that Nehemiah will go, you know what, you made a promise. Here's exactly what you said. You said if we walked away that you would take our people and scatter us. But if we would come back and start following your ways again, if we would dedicate our heart again, that you would bring us back. You said that, God. Verse 10. And they are thy servants and thy people whom thou didst redeem by thy great power, by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee. There's that word again. May thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight and revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. He's talking about the king. He says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. Now watch this. Second thing Nehemiah's got to do is he's got to suck it up and go against the most powerful man in the whole kingdom. And it came about in the month Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. It's almost like he's giving, telling you, look, I wasn't walking around with you know, tears on my sleeve. I was trying to hold this in, this, this sadness I had for my people. And the king says to, said to me, why is your face sad though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. With Nehemiah saying, oh no, I've been found out. See, he's supposed to keep it up. He's supposed to keep it together in front of this guy. And this guy is suddenly looking. He should barely be noticed. If he's doing his job well, he should be almost invisible. And suddenly this king is suddenly looking right at you and saying, I see you. And you look sad. And you can imagine the ceiling going, he noticed me. Oh, I'm in trouble. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, my pla- the place of my father's tombs lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. That's why I love Nehemiah. Oh my gosh. That's one of those moments that I go, Lord, may it be that at some point, under pressure, I have a vision that I can say that simply with that much courage. Let me tell you about a time when vision went really bad. Okay? You're talking about rafting. I couldn't resist this. Story is funny. I came here with two things. One is I said, I'm going to tell them the rafting story. And two, I'm going to talk about John Perkins. That's what, that's the truth. Um, so when I was in Wisconsin, my vision for these students was that they would experience something more daring than German fest. Like that's all they really had done. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm going to bring some experiences to these young people, and I thought, right, whitewater rafting will be the, the ticket. And so I, I had one of my interns, I said, I want you to find us the most wild, crazy, off-the-hook rafting experience in Wisconsin. Which now, hearing that sentence spoken out loud, I realized was probably a mission set to failure. He finds this place called Smokin' Joe's. No joke really called Smoking Joe's. We take 25 college students, and these are guys, you know, these are some of my, I, I really did have a neat group of people out there, and, and they're coming, they're ready to try anything, and, and I'm thinking rafts like the ones, I, you know, the, the ones where they're like, you know, six to eight people, 
you know, where everybody gets an oar. I've dug in in Colorado. I know what that's like. I know, I know how to get in there. I know what, I've seen people popped out of, you know, boats before. And this is what I'm hoping for. Maybe some, what I'm secretly hoping is a couple of the big guys get popped out. You know, that's what I'm secretly kind of hoping for a little bit of God's humbling work in their life. You know, that we can, you know, and so, you know, and so we're going down there. Well, we get there and I'm not kidding. The boats are no bigger than two of these chairs, maybe. They're like little two-person things, and they're like little people, and there are people that are coming up, and they can't quite fit in there because they got two big beer coolers that they're trying to put in there with them. I mean, that's what they're doing. These people are around there, and there's just a bunch of people that they're going down in jeans. You don't raft in jeans, not when you're, you know, going wild and going on the adventure, and they're getting down there, and and they get into this water, and and the water is moving kind of like that, just... And there's like mosquitoes just going like that. <laughs> and, and so like you can't really, you know, stay in there. You kind of, you know, people are getting down to their raft and swimming for a while and catching up to their raft. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, and, and, and you're paddling like this. And I'm just, this whole thing is such a letdown. I'm looking at my, my intern, Joe, and... Like Joe, and he's just looking, he's going, I'm smoking Joe's. I thought it was going to be good. And so we're, we're rowing like this, and we're going, and we're going. It literally takes like three hours of this nothing river. I'm like going, well, kids, welcome to the adventure in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Living life at its best. And, uh, uh. Lord, let it be over. And we're going along, we're going along, we're going along, and then all of a sudden we're just going and we're going, and then there's a 10-foot drop. That's the rapid. It's not rapids, it's a rapid. You get there and boom! You just, yeah! You just watch these boats. I am totally not making this up. Boats are flying everywhere and rafts, and there's like beer coolers floating around like, like this, and I'm not joking. There's, I finally, I'm swimming, I've got my paddle, I've lost my student, I have no clue where they are. And I grid up to the shore, and I'm up there, and I'm like this, and there's just this melee of like, you know, boats and oars and, you know, and just people, and one guy just goes like this, Ben? Like that? Like that. I'm just going, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, vision. That was not the vision. The vision was we were going to be getting out and there was going to be this sense of camaraderie and this sense of hanging on and, and living life and, and really just stepping out there. And it was smoking Joe's and a Ben that never was found. We don't know what happened to Ben. Vision is one of those things that where you are in your life, and, and this is where it gets a little it gets a little tricky, and where I wish we could sit down and talk more, because vision is a is a tricky is a tricky thing to talk about. With Nehemiah, what happens? What ends up happening is he goes down there to rebuild this thing, and he starts working, and he starts doing this stuff at night. He starts walking around the city gates by himself at, at night so that no one can see him, and he just starts pondering this thing. He starts looking at it, and he starts seeing where gates have been torn down. He's like, we could put a gate back up here. He starts walking around this way and he starts gathering people to help him rebuild this wall. And essentially what this wall represents is the beginning of the next chapter of Jerusalem, which is the next chapter of this life of this people. Some of you are in that place where it's time. It's just time. You've been hanging on to something for so long and the walls just feel like they've been destroyed and it's just time. It's time to start rebuilding. That's what Nehemiah is about. 
He starts this process of rebuilding. Well, no sooner does he do it than what happens? This guy named Sanballat comes up and starts. He's, he's one of the guys that's around there. He's, he's, a, um, he's a Samaritan. He comes, which is why one of the reasons why there's, a, there's this rift going on with the Samaritans that you're going to find that come up in the New Testament. He's a Samaritan and he comes up to Jesus or he comes up to, uh, to uh, Nehemiah and he's saying, what are you doing? And starts you know, kind of telling him this isn't going to work. Well, that doesn't stop Nehemiah. So eventually he starts getting more and more threatening. Starts getting more and more scary. And, uh, and as you read through there, what you see Nehemiah saying to the people is he's just trying to scare us. Sam Ballot starts to get more and more aggressive and actually starts challenging Nehemiah to bring your guys down. We'll fight you in the plains. And Nehemiah's like, why would we want to do that? We're here to build the city. Doesn't get distracted. Doesn't take his focus off what he's doing. Doesn't take the hook. You're going to develop this idea of vision. You're going to have people that are going to come against it. I guarantee you. There are going to be people in your family system. This is me talking as a counselor right now. People in your family that are relying on you to act a certain way will not, a lot of the times, have a hard time when somebody starts shifting that. Any system, any place you go forms a little system, and you decide that you're suddenly not going to be the, the role of the one that is always the yes person. Your vision for yourself is that you're going to grow to your full height. Talk, rather from up here, I want to be a person of vision. You know what I'm talking about? Get your voice down. We start talking with a sense of, you know what you're doing. My vision is that I'm going to start taking the power that Jesus Christ has given me through his death and resurrection on the cross. I'm going to start walking that out. I'm going to start using my head. I'm going to start making decisions. That's my vision for myself. Well, I guarantee you there's going to be people that are not going to be comfortable with that. But he doesn't let it disturb him. He just keeps on building, keeps on building. Well, he spends 13 years of his life, and eventually he goes back to the king and does, does some of his work. He's gone, comes back, and what's happened? But all the stuff that had kind of fallen away, see, the remnant while they were there had kind of let go of some of the, the traditions of the people and the things that kind of held them together. All the things that he had worked for, they built this wall. And then what Nehemiah does is he reinstitutes uh, with Ezra, with the, the book right before that, you, you'll see uh, the prophet or the, the, the priest Ezra is they're working to rebuild the, the Jerusalem culture. Well, he goes away and it all falls apart again. So he has to come back in and tell them again and remind them. Because the vision didn't hold. It just kind of fell apart. Well, here's... I want to give you three... Three things from this... From Nehemiah's life. On being a person who develops the discipline of a God-centered, God-breathed, godly vision. First one. is that if you're going to do this, that you need to have Imagination. It's a word that we Christians are a little uncomfortable with sometimes. It sounds a little bit fairy taleish, but Jesus was great at this. Jesus says, "You want to know about the kingdom? I want you to imagine a pearl. I want you to imagine that this pearl is in a field. I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine that you know about this and you take everything you have and go buy that field. That's imagination." He's talking about something that was bigger than what they could understand. And he's saying, I want you to take just a minute and picture something. Well, let me ask you this. What do you picture for your life? What do you picture for you? Who are you becoming five years from now? How do you walk through your world? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as someone 
who has a worth that has been stamped in you because of who made you, with core traits that have strength weaknesses to them that cause both blessing and harm? Do you see yourself as someone who is on purpose? Or do you see yourself as an accident? Do you see yourself as being given the gifts, the talents, and the strengths that are enough with God's Spirit with you and a good community around you to matter in the world? To make a difference? See, that's where I love John Perkins. You ever meet him? He'll walk right by you and you'll never know it. Because he's that humble. He's that way. When I took my college students down to work with him, they came away not blown away because of somebody that was the most powerful speaker or the most charismatic and the most flashy. What John would do is he would look them in the eye, he would talk to them as if each and every one of them mattered and made a difference. And he would talk to them about what were they doing with their life. My students came away just, it was like a, a, a brand new experience for them. John Perkins is one that went down into a city, and if you've never been down to Jackson, it is like, it, it's really hard to describe if, you, if you've not seen anything like that. It's so different than Seattle. And for a man to walk into a town like that and say, you know what, there's a possibility here, and then just spend his life on it. That's what I love about John Perkins. John Perkins doesn't talk about John Perkins. John Perkins talks about his vision. And I don't think that John Perkins is a prophet. I don't think John Perkins is someone where God said, you shall lead the masses into works of reconciliation that will... I don't think that's true. I think what John is is a person that sat back and looked and used his imagination. What's possible? What could happen here? And then just started doing it. Now the thing about John is that he's good at looking another person in the eye and having an imagination for you. And you. That's the core of vision, is that idea, that ability to picture something as it could be, not simply what is. If you are living your life and all you're doing is just fielding all the balls that are coming to you, you're trying to figure out your finances, I get it, it's hard. I know when I was going through grad school and I was trying to figure out a way to make school work and make you know, rent and all this kind of stuff. It felt like that sometime. Like it was enough for a day just to get, you know, get through it. But at some point, I want to challenge you, whether it's five minutes in your car while you turn the radio off and just use your imagination. Who are you becoming? What are you doing? Where are you going? What's possible? What can you see? Second thing is that a vision can be external and internal. Now, this is where it gets kind of tricky. Um, let me see. What's your name? Katie. Katie, would you be willing to come up with me for a second? Hi, Katie. Come on up here. Katie, Katie and I, we go 
way back. Katie and I have known each other for, gosh, two seconds. But I got you something. I got you a present. Are you willing? Can I give it to you? Okay, hang on. I'm going to go get it. She's going to love this. Katie's been talking about this for so long, it almost got irritating. I got her a ladder. It's so great. This is what you wanted, right? All right, this is what you said. I hope I don't knock a light over. This is awesome. Okay, here you go. So, what was I talking about? Be both internal and uh, you like in your ladder? So great. It's a good ladder. Um, it's got to be both internal and external. What are you going to do with your ladder? <laughs> what? Maybe you'll hang lights. Okay, that's pretty good. I couldn't hang a light without that ladder. That's probably that's good. That's really good. What else could you do with that ladder? You could paint a set. Do you do that? Sometimes. Nice. Okay. Good. We all had that worked out. We meant to do that. Nice. That's good. That's good. Here's the here's the thing, and the only reason why I bring out Katie in this ladder is because you'll never forget this completely stupid analogy. You'll never forget the ladder. Here's the deal. It's like you're walking around with something that God has given you. And your challenge is to sit and look at it and go, what can I do with this thing? What can I do with it? And you can start to get creative. I've got the ability to listen. Alright, what's your vision? That's the internal vision is... Or the external part of that is, what can I do with what I've been given? What can I bring into the world? This is where, this is where, let's give Katie, Katie, let's give Katie a hand. Thanks. Katie, do you want your ladder or shall I put it over? I'll put it over, I'll put it away for you. You get it later. Okay, good. All right, good. Thanks. See, here's the deal. Is that, I'm just going to put it right here for now. Man, Katie, your ladder's heavy. Um, but here's the idea, is that the external, the external vision, this is the discipline, is the idea of saying, what has God put in you, and what are you going to do with it? That's the key. This is where it gets different than, my vision is that I'm going to be married and have a kid, and you know, this is where it gets tricky. Because that's the stuff that you can't quite control. What is given to you, and this is the parable of the talents, is that each one of you is bearing gifts, and your job is to be in a community where someone can say, you know what, you're really good at... Dot, dot, dot. And then you say, what can I do with that? That would bless the world, that would bring glory to God, that would be bigger than me, that might invite other people, that might be so far out there that might take my entire life. The internal vision is, who will I become as I'm doing that? And that's the piece that I think a lot of people miss. You see visionaries. It's what I can miss sometimes. If I get an external vision, I have to, God has to remind me and prompt me. I have to have guys in my life that are saying, Dave, don't forget to make sure you're be staying in prayer, that you're staying, that you're keeping your kindness, that you're, that you're doing the things that Jesus calls you to do in the way that Jesus would do them. Who are you going to become? And for some of you, I want to challenge you, it's going to be to get a little bit stronger and a little bit tougher. A little bit more grounded, a little bit more centered. 
You've got people around you that treat you like you're little that may mean changing a little bit of your community. For some of you, it's going to be claiming the power that Jesus has put in you. For some of you, it's going to mean tempering it down a little bit, getting a little bit more humble, getting a little bit more graceful, tempering your speech a little bit. Some of you can be a little harsh with each other. Some of you, your vision for who you're going to become is going to become a little bit softer. That's all right. But what's your vision for who you're becoming? What's your vision for what you're going to do with what you've been given, external and internal? And then finally, a vision needs to be reminded. Because you're going to forget it. The stress is going to come along. Events of the world is going to, are going to, is going to come along. People are going to start talking to you the old way that you were. The way you used to do things. The way you used to see things. You'll start talking to them and maybe they'll say something subtle like, man, you used to be so fun. I know. Now I'm unfun. (laughs) Got to have a little bit of humor with them. Gosh, I've never kind of heard you talk. You're kind of, uh, you're kind of rude. Yeah, you're going to have to give me some grace. You see, I've been talking like Minnie Mouse for about the last 25 years, and I'm trying to do what Dave challenged me to do, which is to bring my voice back into a level that most of you can hear so that you take me seriously. You get what I'm saying? It's the, it's, this is the stuff that I love John letting me in here because it's so true. You guys, if you're sitting down, gals, if you're sitting down to a meeting and you want to be taken seriously, there's this idea of picture that Jesus is standing right behind you, hand on your shoulder going, come on. Speak like you mean it. But count on forgetting. Because you'll fit in the way you were. The group will like you to come back. Drift back. Don't think about it. The funding never came in. The opportunities weren't there. The people weren't in line. Whatever it was, and you just drift And you forget, this is where I think a small group is so important. A small group of people that could remind you of your vision, of what you're going to be and what you're going to do with what you have. What the picture was that you had in your imagination. What they imagined for you. Having a small group of people around you that remind you. Nehemiah had to come back and remind them. And say, look, you guys, we worked so long. We worked 13 years. Don't throw this away. Let's rebuild. So Nehemiah, what I love about him is he just starts taking this and all this furniture had been set up in this room where it was supposed to be sanctified. And he just takes the furniture and just chucks it out. That's just Nehemiah's style. He could use a little softening sometimes. But he had to remind the people. He had to come back and say, don't forget who you are. Don't forget what you're called to. Don't forget that you have a purpose here because we're building this Jerusalem, not simply so that we have a great town, but eventually we're going to build this city so that it's a light to the world. That people will see what's happening here and say, there's no way that mere people could do this. There must be a God. And that's my prayer for your life. My prayer for my life. My prayer for our lives is that we are in community and that what we do is only explainable, come on, by a real and living God.
who's come in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived, died, was raised again, gave us His Holy Spirit, that we would be a light to the world that would say, there's no way that could have happened unless God was real. That's what I want for us. That's vision. Got it? Lord, for each person in this room, I'm going to pray that you will prompt their hearts tomorrow at some point when they're driving, some point when they've got an extra minute at their desk, some point in a meal where your spirit will prompt them to stop whatever it is they're using to distract themselves and to sit and just imagine what could be possible with their life. That you will help them clarify a word for what it is they have inside themselves that you put there on purpose to be used in a broken world. That ultimately by the power of your spirit we grow and grow and grow and grow into something that gives them life, that breathes life, that can only be explained by the power of your spirit working through a people that have said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. A people of vision.